From KCRW, this is Greater L.A. It's the show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. I'm Steve Chiatakis. We're on the playground at New Los Angeles Elementary Charter School in the Baldwin Hills. Just south of the 10 freeway, it's recess time and kids are playing on the jungle gym. And here come the morning announcements. Wait, what? Those weren't announcements for new L.A. charter school. Those were announcements for Baldwin Hills Elementary School. Oh, and look, the Baldwin Hills kids are right over there, also playing on the same blacktop. If it sounds confusing, it is. Because of something called co-location, Baldwin Hills Elementary and New L.A. Elementary have shared this space for the past seven years. This is one of more than 50 campuses at L.A. Unified with a public charter school planted on the campus of a public traditional school. And here, as on many shared campuses, neither school is happy about it. Baldwin Hills has been petitioning the district to move the charter out. And last week, the district made a decision that no one really likes. KCRW's Robin Estrin picks up a story from here. This campus is like the scene of a painful and prolonged divorce, except the couple is made up of two elementary schools and they're stuck in the same house after the split. It's been a struggle for seven years. Jacqueline Walker is the community school coordinator at Baldwin Hills Elementary School. And it's been a long seven years, but it has been a fight from the onset. Baldwin Hills Elementary opened in 1943. It's one of the few predominantly Black neighborhood schools in the Los Angeles Unified School District. It's also a magnet school, a pilot school, a community school, and a California distinguished school. All of that means that Baldwin offers curriculum, programs, and support that reflect the kids in their neighborhood and that they're very good at it. But the year Baldwin became a pilot school, it got into this relationship. So New LA has been here since the elementary school opened in 2016. New LA, the charter school here, is headed by Brooke Rios. New LA serves just under 200 kids, about half as many as Baldwin Hills. Most of those kids are Latino and also mostly from the neighborhood. We have a lot of very dedicated families who have chosen New L.A., an amazing faculty and staff who are doing great work with kids and outstanding students. Under the co-location, New L.A. is squeezed for space. They have seven classrooms, and everything else they need to run the school is crammed into two small bungalows, divided up by partitions, filing cabinets, and bookshelves. Rio says New L.A. never sought to locate specifically on Baldwin Hills campus. We have no idea how those decisions are made, nor do we have a voice, yeah. nor does the host school have a voice. And that's a source of frustration for Baldwin Hills as well. That space New LA is crammed into used to house Baldwin Hills computer lab, yoga room, space for their orchestra program and special education services. We share our auditorium with them. We share our library space with them. And we share our lunch area with them. And we share our, you know, of course, the restrooms with them. When we're on the playground, they're on another half of the playground yard. Now, when Walker sees those charter school kids there playing on the blacktop where her kids play, 
it's hurtful. We're cordial, we're polite. Well, of course, we're very professional, but it's rough. And I know all, I, I can speak for all the teachers there. It's, it's rough, it's hard. This school year, the tension between these two schools has come to a boiling point. In November, dozens of Baldwin Hills parents and teachers gathered in protest outside their school's main office. Here's Baldwin teacher and union activist Marie Germain. We are experiencing an academic and social emotional oppression where our majority black and brown children are being deprived of the appropriate spaces and time for robust enrichment programs to take place. The spark for these protests were incidents of new LA students bullying Baldwin Hills kids in shared parts of the campus. I'm not gonna say it never happens. Kids make mistakes. Kate O'Brien is the head of schools at new LA. The co-location and the tension around co-locations is an adult issue. It shouldn't be impacting kids. They shouldn't be having to deal with the consequences of it. They should be able to come and be in school safely. And that goes for new LA students, Baldwin Hills students, students from any other school. But Baldwin Hills parent Carrie Harper-Howey points out that discipline is harder to dole out when two schools are involved. When we're dealing with a completely different school, a completely different administration, a completely different code of ethics and level of responsibility, then we are disempowered from protecting our children in the most basic ways. Harper Howey and other parents are trying to get LAUSD to remove the charter school from their campus. See, every year around this time, the district decides where charter schools will go next year. The annual uncertainty is because of the way Los Angeles interprets a state law called Proposition 39. That law requires school districts to give public charter schools equitable access to space in the district. And no one seems to think it's working very well in L.A. This is rotten idiocy. It has no basis on what is best for children. That's what's wrong with co-location, okay? How do I really feel, right? Jackie Goldberg is the president of the Los Angeles Unified School Board and a strong supporter of traditional public schools and their teachers' unions. The idea of co-locating schools is a terrible idea. Two schools really have no business being on the same campus with each other because now you have to say, well, now, okay, so who gets lunch when? Who gets to use the gym when? When does the auditorium get used? Can the auditorium be used? Where is the front office? Charter the, schools uh, aren't any happier about it. From a school district perspective and charter school perspective, you know, they would like their own school facilities. Ricardo Soto is general counsel for the California Charter School Association. He points out that co-location is not required by the law. Other cities like San Diego find charter schools their own private spaces. LAUSD's Charter Schools Division, which oversees decisions about where to place charter schools, declined an interview. Last week, LAUSD made a decision. New L.A. can stay at Baldwin Hills, but they have to give back two rooms. To make up for it, the district invited them to take space at another public school just down the street. Rios was not thrilled. I think taking on another co-location is a lot. 
I, I, we're not interested in it. This co-location has, you know, this has resulted in a negative community impact, right? It's not something we want. It's not aligned with the vision of our program. So that's why, again, even though our students are entitled to public school space as public school students, we're opting to spend resources on a private site because the impact of this has been hard. Rio says her sole focus has been securing a private facility for her school, and she's found a building she likes nearby. She hasn't signed a lease yet, but she's hopeful she'll be able to move her entire school there by August. At that point, Baldwin Hills might get a couple of its classrooms back, or a different charter school could move in. For KCRW, I'm Robin Estrin. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. Onward now with Greater LA from KCRW. I'm Steve Chiatakis. It's a health care plan for low-income folks, but who else is it serving? Let's head to Orange County. It's called Cal Optima, and it's under investigation by state auditors for some of its practices. The chairman of Cal Optima's board resigned late last week. He also happens to be a Republican Orange County supervisor, Andrew Doe. Gustavo Ariano is a columnist for the LA Times and a regular here on GLA. Hey, Gustavo. Hola, Steve. Let's talk about Cal Optima. It's publicly funded. It's the county's largest health insurance provider. Uh, and I was looking at some of these statistics. One out of every four residents of the county is covered under Cal Optima. That's incredible. One of every three kids. So these allegations obviously are pretty meaningful. I mean, wh- what's being alleged? in the first place. Basically favoritism right now. Andrew Doe, it's been interesting because for years he tried and tried and tried to become the chair of Cal Optima, but kept getting blocked by state legislatures, by the Cal Optima board of directors, finally became the chairman in 2020. And then all of a sudden people started getting hired that had connections to him. Uh, mainly one of his uh, top aides, she got, she became uh, chief of staff for Cal Optima, even though she had had less than one year of healthcare administration experience. So that immediately got people saying, hey, what's going on? And then Doe, while he was chair, he was also giving big pay raises to executive positions for instance, the CEO, his maximum base salary went from $600,000 up to $765,000 just in one year. Like a uh, raise of over 100K, Steve, I think you and I would love to have that. <laughs> Most people would, but that person was able to get it. Yeah, right. So pay increases, um, allegations about hiring and contracting. I mean, 
These allegations are especially problematic, right, Gustavo, considering Caloptima's, you know, it was created to help the county's most vulnerable with health care, including even people who are unhoused. What, what kind of outrage is there outrage? What's going on? Oh, yeah. Like I said, for years, people were trying to push back against Dillard, trying to uh, be in charge of it. And ever since there, he's gotten a lot of scrutiny from Sacramento, but especially Assemblymember Sharon Quirk Silva, who represents northern Orange County, like Fullerton, uh, Brea. And so she's asked, uh, you know, the California state auditor to look into uh, Cal Optima and specifically these raises. And it's not like Doe hasn't been in trouble before. In the past, he faced a $12,000 fine because he uh, it was alleged that he used his board position to try to push through lobbying contracts for people who donated to his supervisorial campaign, which, of course, even if it's not against the law, stuff like that, that's not really transparent. And it really reeks of pay to play. I got to say, the one group that's really been just on this is the voice of OC. For years, it would report on Cal Optima to the point where I'm like, what is their obsession with it? And their obsession with it is that, hey, it's the public, it's the public fund. It's, it, it serves the public, especially working class folks in Orange County. And if you have a bunch of folks getting rich off of that while the actual services are not exactly the best, then yeah, that should be investigated. What has Andrew Doe have to say about this? Absolutely nothing. Of course, in the past, he says he has done nothing wrong. When he left the position, he didn't issue any statement. The nor did Cal Optima, for that matter. They just scrubbed his name off the website. The closest you get to an, you got to any statement was the chair of the Orange County Board of Supervisors, Doug Shafee, basically saying, "Look, Andrew's been at this for a couple of years." This is not something that's permanent. You rotate. Best of luck to him. So there's supposed to be a new supervisor from the five-member board of supervisors who's going to take over Doe's uh, seat at Cal Optima. And what about his supervisor seat? Is, is that in jeopardy? Oh, no, that's not going anywhere. He got elected in 2020, easily beat his opponent, um, and he'll probably he tried to run for state treasurer uh, in 2022, didn't even make it past the primary. So he's going to be one of those politicians in Orange County that doesn't really go anywhere other than his little fiefdom. Maybe in the future, he'll become an assembly member, just like his former mentor, Janet Wynn, who used to be a supervisor, then became a state senator. And, you know, it's just this rotating chairs. What about criminal charges? Well, you know, the state auditor is going to do its investigation. And right now, again, the only allegations is giving people pay raises and hiring people who maybe were not the most qualified uh, for that job. That does not look like anything criminal, but we'll see what uh, the state auditor has to say. Already, though, you do not want as a local politician to have Sacramento looking into what you do. That is just bad optics. And we'll see what Doe, how Doe responds to all of this. Well, th this report will come out in April, right, by the state. And already state lawmakers have taken action against Doe and the supervisors in OC. They've been barred from working with or lobbying Cal Optima for a year after leaving office. Why, why that restriction? Again, for what happened with Doe getting fined $12,000 for allegedly trying to steer contracts to his campaign donors. And that's a problem that that's going to be Doe's legacy. Uh, Cal Optima is very important to people in Orange County. I mean, almost a third of the county's 3.1 million residents rely on it. And if legislators are putting caps on what Cal Optima can do, that is a reflection of what the Doe administration or Doe's time in charge of Cal Optima was about. And that's not a good legacy to have. Gustavo Ariano, columnist for the LA Times, a regular right here on KCRW's Orange County Line. Gustavo, as always, thanks. Gracias.
right, coming up, Seeing L.A. Step by Step, How Stairs Help You Ascend to New Heights. That's yours after this short break. Moving on with more of Greater L.A. on KCRW, I'm Steve Chiotakis. Los Angeles is a city and region of inclines and slopes, of hills and valleys. And if you're going to a place in those geographic locations by foot, up or down, you might need the help of steps. L.A. actually has a lot of stairs hidden in hilly nooks and crannies all over the place. On film, comedians Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy famously navigated a gnarly Silver Lake incline with a massive piano in a box. Well, that wasn't the ideal experience. Stairs can be great for getting you to where you need to be, but also a source of exercise for some heart-pumping fun. Jeanette Marantos of the L.A. Times wrote an article about a bunch of these stair streets around town, and she's here to talk with us about it today. Hey, Jeanette. Hi. Thanks for having me. That that scene in, in the music box, the Laurel and Hardy movie, I mean, it just gives me heart palpitations just listening to it. I, I wonder what what got you so excited about all the stair streets of L.A.? I was aware that there were stairs, but I had no idea how many there were, and I got um, really interested. We do a lot of hike stories, um, urban hikes uh, at the L.A. Times, but I... Um, we really hadn't done much recently about the stairs, and I, I pitched the idea of why don't I take the hardest ones, the ones that were ranked hardest by Charles Fleming, who wrote the book, and see if I can do them. I'm, I'm not athletic by any stretch of the imagination, but I figured if I could do it, anybody who's, you know, has mobility could do it. So that was our premise, and that's how we started it. The L.A. Basin, Jeanette, obviously has a lot of, you know, flat, right? Were you surprised yes. that all these nooks and crannies, though, had so many stairs and really steep ones? Well, you know, I, I think part of the problem with L.A., well, not the problem, but at the reality of L.A. is that we do so much driving. And most of the driving, you're just not aware of how hilly things, I mean, they're flat freeways and you're looking out and things are sort of at freeway level and... Um, when I got out into these neighborhoods, I was I was just stunned by how many steep hills we have in L.A. And for people who maybe have lived in L.A. in the center for a long time, it's like, of course. But I, when you think of hilly places, L.A. isn't the first city that comes to mind. But now, for me, uh, I realize that it's it's an astonishingly hilly location. And there are a lot of stairs, again, really steep ones that go a long way, like in Silver Lake, Echo Park. I have friends who live at the top of some of those stairs. Believe me, every time they have a gathering, I, you know, (laughs) under my breath, (laughs) say a few choice words because it's like, oh, God, I got to go through that again. (laughs) <laughs> it's exactly I um the the one of my favorite walks is the the Cove Loma Vista walk uh which takes you up through one of these the Loma Vista stairs are that's the only access to the houses that are along there and it's like 185 steps up and 
It's uh, it's beautiful. I was I was just in awe, though. I thought, who who are these people? These hardy people who <laughs> who have to carry everything up and down these stairs just to go home or moving. Like if you're moving yeah. out of one of these places, <laughs> and and you've got. Yeah. To, I mean, imagine the movers. If you were to hire movers, and they saw this very long you know, steep incline of steps, and you're like, I got to move a washer and dryer up to there. You know, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I don't know how people do it. Or a piano, for that matter. I mean... Or a piano, like like <laughs> Stan and Oliver. <laughs> what was the longest stair climb you did? Well, the, the longest is the Murphy Ranch stairs, which are almost 500 stairs uh, coming up. And it's... It's in the Santa Monica Pacific Palisades area, but mm. these steps are are narrow and they're winding and they just seem to go on forever and they're very steep. Um, that steps, though, that I think were most memorable for me were the uh, wooden stairs on the um, the Highland Park Southwest Museum Walk. There's 196 steps. And you've already come up Eldred Street, which is this like block of almost vertical. It's it's a 33% grade, and it's supposedly um, the st- steepest little street in uh, California. But once you get to the top of that, your heart's already hammering. And then you've got these wooden steps that go up, sort of disappear up the hill in this grove of pepper trees. And... Um, that's a very memorable walk, <laughs> and it, and it's very satisfying when you get to the top because you you can look down at where you started from, and it, I was in disbelief. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. That, I mean, again, it gives me palpitations just just listening to this story. You know, but but one of the things I loved about this is, I mean, there's some of them that are you know more for people who are just sort of into the high, the runner's high of you know, tormenting your body and and it just gets that little adrenaline going. But for me, what I loved about these walks was the adventure and exploring places you've never been before. And I loved that. I loved the intimacy of these neighborhoods. These are neighborhoods I'd never seen. It was just wonderful. It was beautiful to walk around and and see this this, this eclectic architecture and, and landscaping and you know, and sometimes there were some breathtaking views too. But for me, it was just the sense of neighborhoods and and how it was like you'd entered another world, and it was it was really really fun. Part of what makes LA so special, right? I agree. I agree. Yeah. So it's it's worth it's worth the sweat, and I I promise you, you're going to build up a sweat. But it's for me, it was worth every moment of it. Jeanette Morantos, reporter for the LA Times. Taking those steps up and down. Jeanette, as always, thanks. (laughs) Thank you so much, Steve. Great to talk to you again. Oh, yeah. Just see Sly Stallone climbing those steps, raising those hands up high. And if it were me, I'd be clutching my chest. Anyway, that's going to do it for us this evening. Tomorrow, for decades, dolphins and sea lions have been helping the U.S. Navy do all sorts of things, even find underwater mines, recover submerged objects. 
Now, as they continue to age, those marine mammals are helping with research, too. That's tomorrow on Greater LA. Share your thoughts with us anytime. Maybe even share a story. Grab the podcast, too, at kcrw.com slash GLA, or get the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search KCRW Greater LA. Juliana Mayo, Nihar Patel, Sonia Geis, Ray Guarna, Phil Richards, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Mike Vogel, and Christian Bordal all put time and ears into this evening's episode. I'm Steve Chiotakis. Thank you for your time and attention. Have a great night. Fire, fire.